All right, welcome to the Joe Danier podcast. What if everyone quit their job? If everybody showed up, not only did they quit their job, but they also made such an impression on everyone else that everyone else also quit their job. You would immediately go home and find that the paychecks would be gone, so your consumership would probably come to a pretty good halt. You might you know, get your side hustle going and maybe try to make some extra money to extend that. But there's going to be a point since everybody quit their job, there's not going to be much of stuff to be able to buy because nobody else is going to be selling stuff because everybody quit their freaking job. So it'll take maybe, you know, a couple years for all of that produced goods to filter through the system. And then you'd have to become a colonialist, someone who would come to a patch of land and build a house and figure out how to make fruit and, and vegetables and meat grow, provide for your family and know how to survive. And when you purchase things, it was for the sake of prospering and not dying. And then you find out that your closest neighbor might be growing something that you're not growing. So you can take some of the spoils from your field and trade with these other people and increase the food output of your neighborhood. And then when you get a grouping of people that all can specialize in different things, you can exchange goods with a whole community of people that are specializing in producing different goods. And then because we're human beings, we make things a little bit more efficient. We create processes to have better output. So let's pause right there and think, why would everybody want to quit their job? Well, I think we lack the perspective I'm going to say the historic perspective, to be able to look and find what life was like before we had all of these totally convenient systems. Now, you might hate your job, and you might ha hate how we produce food, and the whole, the whole system seems like it could be made better. If only you, would, if you, only you look at it from you know, the next level of innovation standpoint. So you maybe go 100 years in the future, and maybe food tastes better. We work less hours. Nutrition is better. Health is better. Everything's better. And we look at today and we're like, oh, yeah, it could be made a lot better. So if we were moving in in the um, sort of the arc of making things better, like we have no problem producing food. There is nobody's dying of hunger because of lack of food. In fact, it's the other way around. We waste about 50% of all the food, you know, that we produce. So we are way overproducing, way underutilizing. But I do agree with a couple of these points, and I'll keep listening to the people who share these points because there's some validity to it, and you shouldn't just dismiss it. You should use it as information for the innovators of the next era and the stuff that they need to be working on. One, your job. You do not want to be a cog in a wheel. You do not want to feel like you don't matter, that you're replaceable, that you spend and invest eight hours a day of your life at something that is not fulfilling. Now, if we go back to our colonialist times and we spend eight hours planting crops and nurturing crops and watering crops and picking crops and, you know, canning crops and whatever, those are the same eight hours. But at the end of the day, you have food to eat, right? Where when you spend eight hours in the position striking keys on a keyboard, it doesn't feel like you're using and converting that effort into things that are sustaining your life and giving you a better life and giving you access to tools and technology. It just feels like you're a cock. But it sort of takes mental trickery to be able to say, well, 
you know, if I were to go into colonial times, I would probably trade not being in the field, right? Trade not being there with being in an office. I would just have to make that conversion and say every day, I'd say if I'm in this office in air conditioning, striking in a keyboard, not feeling the purpose, but at least it's not eight hours in a field making tomatoes grow, making corn grow, you know, taking care of animals, watering things, right? If you make that connection, then it's an easy thing to say I'd rather be. But without that perspective, if you don't have to work hard, it's pretty easy to take that stuff for granted. So I'm going to call this episode Animal Farm 2, 2.0. And so if you're unfamiliar with this uh, novel, I don't want to spoil it for you, but it's a bunch of animals who are, you know, they don't like the farm that they live in. They think it could be done better. uh, And they revolt against the farm. And I don't want, again, I don't want to spoil it, but what ends up happening is the animals revolt and then they take charge themselves, but then they organize and they become some of the worst things of what they had before, but they did it their version of the worst things. And so they just became what they replaced. And it was because what they didn't realize is there's where they were at was the sum of the history, right? And you can only break from that history if you have sort of an intention to break from that history. A lot of what we experience right now are are the default settings where it became that because that's the tendencies of human beings to create that. And if you stripped it all down right now and fired everybody and everybody went off, guess what would happen? We would Animal Farm 2.0 and we'd recreate the farm almost the same as it was before, just with a different set of tyrants. So all of the things, the tyrants, all the... The, you know, the injustices, everything that you experience, you would just have a different version of that because the humanity is what makes us strong, but it also is our kryptonite. It's what works most heavily against us. So I think the next era of innovators, have it's more of a mental game than it is a physical game because we got to say, hey, we're going to do something that we want to do and we got to keep having people buy into it. So I'll give you an example. Let's just say, you know, we, we do this all the time in our household. We'll have a case, we'll buy cases and cases of water. We are big water drinkers. And when you have cases and cases and cases, you know what I notice we do? You walk around your house and you find, you know, half empty or half full uh, water bottles that someone drank a little bit off and then they threw away. Some of them are three quarters. Lots of waste happens when it feels like there's just, you know, infinite bottles of water because lots of cases. You know, what happens when you get down to your last case and you know your next shipment's not going to arrive for another two weeks? So you've got to make the one case last. Well, you look at that case and you you don't have empty bottles anymore because your psychology changed where you're not going to waste it like you did when you thought it was infinite and you had a prosperous supply. So that's the mental game that you have to play when we don't, it's not hard to come, uh, you know, it's not hard to come across food, right? It's hard to come across maybe food you should be eating, it's super easy to come across food that you want or tastes good or is terrible for you. And so the psychological game is you know what you should have. What would make you not want to quit your job? Well, you'd have to have purpose. How do you get your purpose? Well, you have to use your brain to use the perspective of what luxury it is to have the kind of job that you have where you don't even have to think about running out of bottles of water. And that's why you will take for granted of the ease of the grocery store a block and a half away. And you see, I'm traversing all these metaphors. 
But you until you put it in check, you put your brain into check and say, there was a version of what I'm doing right now that was much harder and it's much easier right now. The harder would have been more fulfilling, but the easier is actually a luxury. So if I can come in every day and say, I'm not picking tomatoes today, I am typing on a computer, you're like, man, I am so lucky. I'm so fortunate. I'm so blessed to have the job I am. Then it changes your purpose. Now you're being dealt not as a cog in a wheel, but making somebody else rich. You are producing a wage that buys those tomatoes instead of having to plant them yourself. And it's just a different way of looking at it. And there's not perfection. There's no uh, perfection in that logic. But if it means that you don't feel like quitting your job every day and it reprograms your brain not to look for you know, the having a perfect circumstance that everyone in the rest of the world would trade for, and you're willing to give it up because you know that could be done so much better. You don't have to intermingle those two. You can innovate. You can take a snapshot, be thankful for where you're at, and then in the, the gaping holes that are in where it could be done better, then you start innovating and, you know, uh, just invite people into that logic. Yes, we have good food. We have lots of food, but there's better food and you have to dig for food. I want you to care about that food versus hating on everything, getting disparaged, wanting to quit your job and then bringing a bunch of people with it. So let's not let everybody quit their job in mass. Uh, let's reprogram the psychology. So you, you take things, uh, you know, you have more thankful, you're, you, you're grateful for what you do have, but that doesn't make you take your foot off the gas to change the things that need to be changed around us. So good luck to y'all. We'll check you next time. This is the Joe Danier podcast.